0: Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, great to see everybody tonight. And we are talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to begin in uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which says, Now he who has established us with you in Christ, And has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee or even some translations say as a down payment. But uh, I want you to notice that it says that he has anointed us. Uh, A lot of Christians don't realize it, but every believer has an anointing on their life. Now, that anointing can increase, it can decrease, there's times that it's more powerfully in manifestation than at other times, but it really is that anointing that the Holy Spirit brings that makes the difference in our lives. The word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel and said it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Lives are not changed, because we're intelligent or because of willpower or by chance, they're changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Chains are broken, hearts are healed, souls are saved, miracles happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Isaiah prophesied about this and said it like this in chapter 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So what breaks bondages? It's the anointing that breaks bondages. Now it says here destroyed. Uh, I, I remember the Spanish translation. It says it's going to rot. It literally, it rots. The if you sit long enough with an open spirit where the anointing of the Holy Spirit is, it just like it melts or it rots bondages that are on our lives. But it is the Holy Spirit that causes that to happen. He's the one that breaks the chains. He's the one that takes and heals our hearts. Now, after Jesus is water baptized in Luke chapter 4, it says Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. It's interesting, he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. But when he came back, the Bible says he came back in the power of the Spirit. And in between that time, Jesus had been praying and fasting. He'd gone through a time of temptation. And it says news of him went throughout all the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. You know, when we go to Israel, we spend a lot of time Right in that area in Galilee. In fact, over 80% of everything Jesus did, he did within just a few miles, all of his ministry, just a few miles of the Sea of Galilee. So not far away is that little town of Nazareth. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now... Somebody asked me as I was coming in, they said, are you having problems with your knees? You're sitting down. I said, no, I'm just doing what Jesus did. He stood up to read and he sat down to speak. (laughs) So So he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, again, every believer has an anointing. Every believer has an anointing. Now it can be in different areas for doing different things, but every believer is anointed. And to some degree, we're anointed to do what Jesus did. As a, as a follower of Jesus, how I many know we're called Christians? I mean, it really just means little Christ. We're supposed to be like little Christ. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he's anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. He said, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I think I'm going to talk about this in some of the weeks to come. But where it says the acceptable year of the Lord, that's actually a term that refers to the year of Jubilee. Now, some of you will remember, if you've read your Bibles, Every 50th year was a Jubilee year. And on that year, on the the Day of Atonement, the the priest would take the blood and he would go in and put it on the mercy seat. And when he came out, that was proof that the, the, the blood had been accepted, that their sins were forgiven, and they would blow the trumpet. You know, it never happened until the Day of Atonement. When the blood was put on the mercy seat and they would blow the trumpet and everybody was set free. If you had been sold as a slave, you were free. If you had sold your property, you got it back. Everything was restored on the day of atonement in the year of Jubilee. And Jesus said, what I've come to proclaim is Jubilee. The year of the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of Jubilee. He said, I'm telling you that everything that the devil has stolen, he said, God wants you to have it back. Now, he said, I'm anointed to do it. I'm anointed to preach. He said, I'm anointed to heal. And every one of us, again, there's a purpose for the anointing that's on our life. And that anointing can be stronger, deeper, and again, in different people. It's different in different areas. Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's anointed with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Now, somebody says, what kind of power was it that he was anointed with? Well, I think it's safe to say that it was healing power. In Mark chapter 5 Jesus is in a crowd of people, and a woman who had an issue of blood for 18 years comes up behind him. For she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And she touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? I felt power. Some of your translations say virtue, go out of me. Well, that power went into that woman and it healed her. So how many say that's healing power? Right? It's healing power. It's delivering power. Right. And uh, eventually she comes forward and uh, Jesus said, woman, your faith has made you well. I think this is important. Although Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, it, the, the, the power flowed to the woman who was believing that that power was going to be released when she touched Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, it says, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, and there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus." But when they could not find how to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop. They took the tile, they opened it up, and they let the man down in front of Jesus. <laughs> when the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith. Well, who had faith? Well, I think the, there's no question the, the paralytic had faith. How many paralytics do you know who are going to let you take them up on a roof? <laughs> They're like, don't, you'll drop me and I'll be worse off. You know, and obviously the four men had faith or they wouldn't have taken him up on the roof. So Jesus, when they let him down, he says, he says, when he saw their faith, he said to him, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And then he said, take up that mat and go home. And that man was instantly healed. Now, the Bible says that the power of the Lord was present to heal all of the Pharisees and the teachers From Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Now that must have been a lot of people. There were so many of them in the house that they could not get in. But that anointing did not heal any of them, although the power of the Lord was present to heal them. None of them got healed. Only him got healed. So what what we're saying is this. The power, the anointing, only flows where there's faith. It flows where there's faith. She came up and she touched and she believed. Now, Jesus is anointed with that healing power. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter six, he says that this is going to shock some of you. It says that when he went to his hometown of Nazareth, it says he could. Everybody say could. He could there do no mighty work. Not he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. E.W. Vine's Expository Dictionary brings out the fact that they had minor ailments. And it says that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Although the anointing was there, people had to believe it in order to receive it. Now listen, you have to believe that you're anointed for that anointing to flow from you. Whatever God anoints you for, you need to believe that you're anointed Not just the person who's receiving needs to believe, but you need to believe that you're anointed to do the things that God has called you to do. So that woman with the issue of blood, and I said 18 years, it was 12 years, she came up and she touched his garment, and when she did, that power flowed. Now somebody says, how do we get that that anointing in our lives in manifestation? Well, prayer, study, use, and fasting. Prayer, study, study about it, understand it, use it, and fasting. Again, Jesus went into the desert full of the Holy Spirit. But he came out of the desert filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there had been a time of fasting where he was seeking God. Jesus is is at Bethesda. It's one of the towns that Jesus actually it says, uh, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Because if the miracles had, that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. But they bring him a blind man. And the Bible says that Jesus takes him out of the city. He doesn't do anything to him. He just takes him out of the city. Now, the city was such a place of unbelief that Jesus is like, I don't even want to minister to this man in that place. You know, when you need a real miracle from God, you need to stay away from people full of doubt and unbelief. You know, it's interesting when Jesus is going to raise the little girl, Jairus, daughter from the dead. He didn't let anybody in there that was full of doubt and unbelief. He got rid of all of them. So Jesus takes this man at Bethesda, this blind man. And he takes him outside of town. And he lays his hands on him. And he takes his hands off. And he says, "Uh, what can you see? And he says, "Uh, I see men like trees walking. And then the Bible says that he put his hand back on him. And he took his hand off. And the man could see all things clearly. Now, here's what some people really miss. Jesus never prayed for the man. He never prayed for him. He laid his hands on him. And the anointing that was on Jesus flowed into him. He took his hands off and he was improved, but it wasn't all the way back. He wasn't completely, completely delivered or healed yet. And he put his hands back on him and laid his hands again, and that same anointing flowed in more. You see, you can be more anointed or less anointed. And it depends on the anointing that's on you, and it depends on the belief of the person. It it depends on both. So we need to recognize that, that that anointing is there, right? And we need to believe that, that, that we are anointed by God for that anointing to flow. Galatians 3, verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now notice it says Christ redeemed. Now, redemption, when when the Bible talks about redemption, it's a blood word. It's talking about something Jesus did with his blood. The Bible says in Peter that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your vain conversation or your worthless lifestyle, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Now, I say that to say this. The word, the blood, and the spirit... Always agree. The word, the blood, and the spirit—they always agree. Now that he, you were redeemed by blood. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now we read earlier that that Spirit is a guarantee that it's a down payment, the Bible says you're sealed with the Spirit. When I was growing up, my mother used to can stuff, peaches and strawberries and raspberry jam. Praise God. I mean, it was like awesome. Some of you remember, how many of you remember people used used to do that all the time? And some still do. And then she would put some kind of like wax on the top. Remember that. And it would seal that inside. And it would just stay totally fresh until you broke that seal. Now, the Bible tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. When you get right with God, the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you and puts that new life on the inside of you, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, the purpose of redemption at this point in time is that we get that the Spirit of God come and live inside of every believer. That's why Christ redeemed us, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, every believer, the Holy Spirit's inside. We're sealed. Now, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to bring change into our life. Where where I'm going is the Word is written by the Spirit. The Bible says that holy men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote. So it's the Spirit of God that did that writing. But listen to 2 Corinthians 3.16. And all of us with unveiled vases because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, notice how we're changed. The Holy Spirit changes us as we continue to behold in the Word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Uh, I was reading this morning in my devotions in Psalms 55. It says, because they do not change, therefore they don't fear God. Because they do not change, they don't fear God. How many of you know repentance brings a change? Right? And in, in, as we see the mirror of God's Word, the Bible says that, that brings that change on the inside of us as believers, and we become more and more and more like him. Now, obviously, God can speak in many ways. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush, to Pharaoh through signs and wonders. He led the wise men by a star. Belteshazzar, a hand appeared and wrote on a wall. To the prophet Balaam, it was kind of tough, and he had to talk through a donkey. So God can speak in a lot of different ways. But the number one way that he wants to speak to every one of us is through the word of God. Now, it is the spirit that quickens the word to us. But that's the number one way that he wants to speak to us. Again, Second Peter 1, verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And and because so often we're looking for something spectacular, we miss the supernatural. When we get in the word of God, supernatural things begin to take place. I love Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein, and then you will make your way prosperous. You will have good success. You know, it's when we're meditating in the Word of God that the Spirit of God quickens and makes alive the Word. Jesus said in Matthew 4:4: Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It, it, it is our life. It's our bread. It is what we need to grow, to be nourished, to be healthy spiritually. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 16, it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice, To him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Peter is writing this, and he's talking about being on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus brings Peter, James, and John. And as they're up there, Jesus' clothes begin to glow. Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus, and they're talking to Jesus. And Peter and James and John, they're like, whoa. And and Peter actually said, do you want us to make like three little tabernacles up here? Three little booze? One for you, one for Moses and Elijah. And the Bible says he said that because he didn't know what to say. (laughs) He was just like freaking out and just had to say something. Now, he's talking about that. And this is what he said. In this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, this is what I want you to catch. Verse 19. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. So he literally is with Jesus, sees the vision, Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. Jesus is, is glowing. A cloud comes and God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And he says, we have a more sure word. There is something that is more sure than any vision, any dream, any revelation, or any feeling that you have. We have a more sure word of prophecy. You say, what is it? It's the Bible. The Bible is more sure than any angel showing up and talking to you. In fact, Paul wrote and said, though we or an angel should preach to you another gospel, than what has been preached, let him be accursed. He said, this Bible, this is the word of God, right? And somebody said, well, there's a prophecy today. Yeah, but there isn't anything that's equal to the Bible. Every prophecy today is judged by the Bible. We also have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein ye will do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arises in our hearts. Verse 20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, what that means is this. That the Bible doesn't mean one thing to you and something else to me. There's one interpretation. Now listen, there's a million applications. But there's just one true interpretation. But it can be applied a million different ways. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I want to give you one more verse before I tell you a little story. Isaiah 8, verse 18. I love this. Here am I and the children who the Lord has given me were for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts. This is actually prophetic about Jesus. He says, here am I, that's Jesus, and the children whom the Lord has given me, that's you and I. And it says, we're for signs and wonders. How about you for miracles, healings, signs, and wonders? Jesus said, that's what he's for. It says, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God, should they seek the dead on behalf of the living, to the law and to the testimony? If they don't speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. He's saying, if, if, if somebody disagrees with the word of God, he says there's no light in them. There's no truth. It's not God. Your Bible is God speaking to you. Your Bible is God speaking to you. A while back, Jeannie and I uh, went out with a, a Christian, a believer, and uh, we were talking with this, this person and they were uh, mentioning that they had a friend of the opposite sex. And, and uh, I said, are you sleeping with them? And they said, yeah. Yeah, we're not married, but you know, they're sleeping together. And, and they said, but, but I have peace. I have peace about it. And uh, You're going to be so proud of me that I didn't say everything I thought. (laughs) Okay. I didn't. But uh, I read to them from the Bible. From the book of Thessalonians. It says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in a passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God that no one should take advantage of defraud his brother or sister in this matter for the Lord is the venger of all such and we have also forewarned you and testified for God didn't call us to uncleanness but to holiness therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit so I read this to him, and uh, they said well I have peace and I said well what about the Bible they said well I'll pray about it (laughs) listen to me You do not pray about the Bible. The Bible is right. Just simple, just simple. And if you're not if you're doing what the Bible says don't do, you are wrong. Quit. Stop. Desist. Now. You don't get to pray about the Bible. How many of you know we call him Lord? That's because he's boss. You don't say, no, Lord, they don't go together. You don't say, I'll pray about it. Again, you don't pray about the Bible, you obey the Bible. The Bible is God speaking to you. And and I I love what what Moses said. God is speaking to Moses, and he says, the commandments I command you today for your good. Everybody say, for my good. It's not that God is trying to, to be in a keep you from enjoying life it is the exact opposite he said everything I tell you it is for your good right? your Bible is God speaking to you and uh, because it is it's, it's so important we need to we need to be Bible smart you know they talk about different kinds of smart they say that there are people that are word smart talking about their vocabulary, their body smart, their number smart, their picture smart, their music smart, I'm sure not that, people smart, self smart, nature smart. Over a 100 years before the invention of the calculator, Johann Martin Zacharias Dias calculated pi in his head into to 200 places in less than two months. He could multiply two eight-digit numbers in his mind in 54 seconds to 40-digit numbers in his mind in 40 minutes to 100-digit numbers. He could multiply in eight hours and 45 minutes. He could perform calculations for weeks on end in his mind. (laughs) He would stop calculating at bedtime, store everything in his memory, and pick up the next morning right where he had left off. He could even just look at a a group of sheep or cattle in just one glance and tell you there's 362 of them. Is that crazy? Now, I have no idea if he was music smart or if he was people smart, but I know this, he was number smart. Now listen, there's nothing that's more important to you and me than being Bible smart. We need to know the word of God and we need to know the Spirit of God. We need to know those two things. The Bible says that wisdom, it is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. You know, the apostle Paul, he prayed for the church at Ephesus, and he said, God, I pray that you'd open the eyes of their heart, that they could know the hope of your calling. What's God's plan? What's God's purpose? The hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. He said, all that Jesus purchased for us, he said, God, open their eyes so they can see it. And then he said, "And, "And what is the exceeding greatness of your power that is at work in and for and through believers? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Yeah, I think it's great that that prayer is right in the Bible. You say, what does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit inspired him, and he wants to answer it. He wants to answer it for you, and he wants to answer it for me. Your Bible is God speaking to you. It will show you God's plan, God's purpose. It will show you what things Jesus purchased for you and I at Calvary, that we are redeemed, and what belongs to us today And what is the exceeding greatness of God's power that's at work for us, in us, and through us? Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org slash give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.